out to you tonight. Do you trust anyone? Come and confide in me. Confess all. Unburden your conscience. Be rid of your sins. Call me now and entrust me with your secret selves. I have returned for your sake. Tell me what you won't tell your best friend, your lover, your children, or your father. Let me be your friend. Share all of yourself. Because I'm the Nightcrawler. And I love you. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. A forever night episode. Feels like it's been forever. Forever night. Is it an endless forever? No, it, it got here. Oh, well. I but it, it'll happen again. <laughs> you didn't pick up what I put down there. That's fine. So this is season two, episode six, Capital Offense. This episode is a little all over the place. I will say it is not one of the ones that I gravitate towards rewatching, but it does have my favorite flashback. So there's a lot to talk about in this episode. And before we forget, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we start on like a sting operation. We actually get to see Nick and Skanky doing cop action. <laughs> oh, oh, is this what it looks like when they're at their day job? It's so cute. Skanky's <laughs> pretending to put stuff away. Nick is sleeping in a car. Not his car, thank God, because that would be um, not very stealthy. But he's well, in. and it would be kind of... The normal day to day. Yeah. He just parked in the parking deck and waits for this lady <laughs> to walk by. I know. Uh, but this lady is walking through and she has this adorable little like crop sweater, knee length skirt boot thing, which would very much be in style today. I could 100% see our niece wearing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think we've entered the region of the 90s that has come back. Maybe. Not not what Nick's wearing. I'm not saying that at all. Because somehow we even found we found another way to make him wear a vest in the flashback this episode. <laughs> I think at this point they're picking historical, like historical time periods. Just like, okay, but you haven't answered the most important question yet. Can Histori you wear a vest? Historically, would a vest be appropriate? Then fuck it. We're not putting this in there. <laughs> I think even if it wasn't appropriate, they'd still just they say. They find a way. 
This is a work of fiction. Oh, yeah, it's fine. It's a work of fiction. We can put vests wherever we want to. <laughs> I was reading, I started reading a book. I put it, uh, put it back down, but the author had a foreword and it was like, this is a fictional work that takes place in Oxford. Yeah. And I, as someone who just attended, like lived there for a while and I don't, I'm not like a resident. <clears throat> My recollections may not match your recollections. And I have taken some liberties with the layout and whatever. But remember, this is a fictional yeah, work of this art. This is a work of fiction. So please don't contact me be, uh, <laughs> to correct me about the names of streets. Don't at or me, Or where bro. buildings are. Yeah, don't at me. I don't care. <laughs> That's um, how the forever night. Yeah people feel about Nick's outfits. Yeah, vests, uh, just vests everywhere. Although he's not wearing a vest in present day for the majority of this episode. He's wearing kind of a suit sans tie with a black shirt and like a gray suit jacket and pants. If you say so. Yeah, and he's still shaved, but we haven't cut our hair yet. Can't. I think we cut our hair eventually. By we, an hour, I mean The Nick. royal we. The royal we. Nick does eventually cut his hair. I can't wait for it. Because this is like the 90s interpretation of the mullet. We couldn't quite go all the way back to having straight-laced haircuts. He's the young, hip, rebel guy. He can't have the same haircut as everybody else. Uh, so he has just a party all over the place. There's no, there's no business. It's all just... I don't know what this is. Every part of his hair is party. Yeah. But anyway, they're doing this sting operation. This woman is walking through, and they're clearly after this woman. And they are very unstealthy. These people are all staring at her and then talking into their wrists. And so, oh, big shocker, she makes them. Because they are as stealthy in this moment as they were when they were following that lady in Fate Worse Than Death. And they're like 10 feet away from her, yeah. sitting in the car. Yeah. So she whole ass runs and tackles a, this other woman and steals her car. Yeah, pulls her out of the door. Yeah. And so Nick is like, gotta go. And he just pushes off. And he didn't say the magic code word to Skanky, go around back. So, that so Skanky has no idea what to do. So Skanky's like, Nick, 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 where the hell are you? Skanky knows if Nick says, go around back. Supernatural shenanigans are about to, to go down, but he doesn't get the code word, so he doesn't keep his cool. But what it turns out Nick is doing is using his vampire powers to get hit by a car. Just get right in front. Just stand still. Stop the car. No, thank you. I'm going to stop it with my body. So he just, you know what? Last time he did this in False Witness, the guy swerved. Maybe he was hoping she'd swerve. Maybe, maybe he overestimated her yeah. uh, reflexes or underestimated her resolve I mean, he, to get out. He lost a game of chicken, let's put it that way. So he stands in front of the car, he gets hit, he rolls up on the windshield and rolls back down. And she gets out to check on him. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And you're under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, that shit. That sting went perfectly. <laughs> High five, skanky. Right. Now she can tell everybody, I hit that officer with the car and he's totally like, fine. Real hard. <laughs> like I hit him real hard, guys. I was escaping. Whatever. It's fine. He fell off a bus one time. Well, it was moving after he hijacked it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, this is Laura Garfield. 
and she is supposed to be from Texas. This is the Canadian director's uh, interpretation of an accurate Texas accent. Yeah, what I was going to see is, is she from, where is she from? Like, where is this actress actually from? Lisa Langlois. Nope, she's from Ontario, Canada. You know what? It's not horrible. It's not the worst Texas accent I've it's ever not. heard. It's not. It's like... She does all right. The Irish interpretation that we had a couple episodes back in Bad Blood. It's similar. It's close enough. You know what they're going for. They're in the ballpark. We don't hate it. Is it the best Southern accent ever? No. Does she lose it every once in a while? Yes. But she is a escaped convict from Texas who was on death row. She was on a death row transfer. from For murdering her husband. And this is... Partly so we can have a little bit of commentary about the United States. Yep. Partly so we can have some commentary about the death penalty. Yep. And partly so we can have a little bit more insight into Nick's past trauma with his trauma dad, LaCroix. And the fascination of Skanky. He was fixated on... Her murder. Who was? Skanky. Skanky wasn't. On whose murder? The murder that Laura committed. I hit Myra was. Remember he said Myra has the whole thing uh, right, on tape? Right, but he kept talking about it and elaborating oh. in graphic detail think, about it. Well, because Myra watched. It's like you, like you sitting down and watching a true crime documentary with me. And you just absorb all that knowledge. Really, the skanky subplot in this episode is the thwarted fishing trip between him and Myra. That skanky was yeah. finally going to have some skanky time. Some skanky with Myra time. And Nick's uh, bullheaded obsession with clearing this woman's name absolutely keeps him from having this romantic fishing weekend with Myra. But yeah, Skanky does introduce us to our crime. I think it's not so much that Skanky is obsessed with this crime. I think it's more like Skanky is uh, the audience's way of knowing what she did. So Nick doesn't yeah, think she did it. So Nick's not going to talk about it. He's elaborating on the significance of it. Yeah. So he's the he's our uh, exposition partner. Um, he's the audience stand in. Not the audience stand-in, but he's the, the guy who's telling the audience what's going on. And so he tells us, like, yeah, she chopped up her husband into tiny little bits with an axe. There she is. Darling of death row. The Tex Axe Terror. With lipstick in one hand and axe in the other, she hacks her hubby up into tiny, teeny little pieces. Move over Lorena Bobbitt. Compared to this, what Lorena did was a manicure. Now, probably won't be long until they turn it into a movie. Yeah, coming yesterday to a theater near you. She's a celeb, all right. Didn't Barbara Walters interview her in prison? Anyway, they covered the whole trial on the Gabble channel. Myra's got it on tape. I wonder why she's got it on tape. What? No, I wouldn't worry about a skank. But I would sleep with one eye open if I were you. <sighs> Let's go introduce ourselves. And, um, yeah, we need to send her back. And... We get to be in the news now. Isn't it nice? We caught her. And she's a famous Texas serial killer. So she's got like paparazzi. The FBI are after her. So why is she a serial killer? 
She's not a serial killer. Oh, did they call her a serial killer? You show? just called her a serial killer. I just wrote it down oh, in okay. my notes. I think Texas serial killer just ran together. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, she's not. She's only that we know of. She only killed her husband. Right. Which is interesting that she killed one person and she got on the on death, death row. row. Although, as Skanky says later, they hand out death row sentences for not paying your parking tickets. Yeah, <laughs> which is, hey, there's our American commentary. Yeah, and uh, what was the, the the last time someone got out of death row was back when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> to explain how how thorough and committed the Texas legal system is to enforcing the death I penalty. I know this is our like, ooh, Americans. They're just so ass backwards about the way they do their justice system, which it's fair. It's fair. And this was thirty years ago when shit was way less broken. Uh, I'm sorry. So anyway, uh Skanky's like he's telling Nick all about the entire thing. And Nick goes, uh Skanky, you know a lot about this trial, don't you? And he's like, oh my God, Myra watched the whole thing. She recorded it. And then he pauses and he's like, why would she have recorded it? And Nick's like, hmm, I don't know. Hmm. It's, it's really weird. weird. He's hmm. like, I should, should, I be, should, I, should I worry about that? And Nick's <laughs> like, no, no, I'm sure you're fine. Just, you know, sleep with one eye open. <laughs> Soaking in the details. Oh, here's why she got caught. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, okay. Because uh, there yeah, are ways I mean, to avoid she's that. a husband killer. So Skanky's like, oh, shit. Um, oh, you know what? That's why he plans the fishing trip because he's like, oh no, Myra's going to, Myra's, Myra's feeling ignored. She recorded this as a cry for help. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll plan something for us to go do. And then we go into the interrogation room and this is the first time we get like a long conversation with Laura Garfield and our antagonistic cop who is her antagonistic cop buddy. I think it's just so we can have a character that's mean to her who's not a man. I guess. that That's what it feels like. Because why why is this cop maybe assigned to her? Maybe they've learned their lesson from having Nick take people into custody. Well, it can't be Skanky being mean to her as much anymore because we've reformed Skanky a little bit. So now we need the Skanky dialogue, but Skanky can't deliver it. So we put this woman in there to be like, uh, you're an asshole and I hate you and I just want you to go back to the United States. <laughs> so Get out of my country. <laughs> so Laura's like, this woman took my matches and I just want to smoke. And the lady goes, there's no smoking in here. And they all look at her like, I'm sorry, it's the 90s. There's smoking. <laughs> <laughs> She's allowed to smoke. She's allowed to smoke uh, absolutely everywhere. And we find out that she is here to see Danny Carruthers because he framed her. And she's trying to get herself off of death row by finding the people who actually killed uh, her husband. And she knows he has a friend here named Billy Breeze. We have so many random dude names in this mm -hmm. movie. It's in this episode. It's hard to keep track. But she is there because her husband was friends with a guy who was friends with a guy who lives in Toronto. And the Toronto guy is Billy Breeze. The friend is Danny. And honestly, I've forgotten where her husband's name is. Do you remember? David. David. Thank you. And her husband was David. She hands him a picture, which feels like this was just a way for the them to be like, 
this is this guy, this is yes. this guy, this is this guy. Because we never we come back, we don't come back to this photo. Because later we need to identify Danny Crothers. He could have just taken the photo out and been like, yep. But we don't bring this photo back, so who cares? And Skanky, <laughs> I love this part because Nick is talking to Laura and he is totally buying all of it. He's like, oh my God, you poor woman. Nick is eating it up. He's like, oh, this, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And then he's like, you know what? We're going to we'll make this right. We're going to make this right. We're going to look into this for you. And Skanky gives him a what the fuck look. A, is this another part where you were supposed to tell me to go around back and you haven't told me to go around back yet? Because this really feels like <laughs> uh, I shouldn't be here for this right now. I'm sorry, what? We're going to fix this? This woman already went to trial. She already got con- like a guilty verdict. and She's she been already- in jail for years. I don't think she's been in jail that long, but... Like she, because her trial just aired, so her trial just happened. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. she'd, I thought she'd been in Although prison for a while. Although knowing the U.S. justice system, she's probably been in prison awaiting trial yes. for years. Yes, and it's like, um, we're gonna do what? We're gonna fix what now? And this is a really interesting kind of. Um, Nick uses other people's perception of him as a way of getting what he needs. That's something that he does consistently throughout the series. He uses his charm, his attractiveness, however you want to describe it, to get women and other characters around him to trust him and go with him and do what he wants them to do. This is the first time he gets that done to him. Yep. Where this woman is like, I'm so sorry. I, I I didn't really do it. This is all wrong. People think I'm one way and I'm really not that way anymore. And people think I'm evil, but I'm not evil inside. David saved me. How could I kill him? <laughs> you you know what that's like, right? To not be as evil as people think you are. And Nick's like, oh my God, yes. She gets me. That's so sad. I need to know that somebody trusts me. I feel I can trust you. You don't know how lonely it gets. Always running. I've got no one to turn to. She's like, you don't know how lonely it is for people to think that you're the bad guy. And Nick's like, I do. (laughs) I do, actually. And it's so traumatic. And he identifies so strongly. He actually has a flashback in this moment. And this is one of my favorite flashbacks. And it's where he comes into, like, he breaks into this basement and we find out it's at a, a convent because yeah. this nun comes in and he's hiding behind this pillar and men are outside with dogs and they're obviously hunting him and he's been burned by daylight. And so he's all burned and wounded blistery. looking and blistery. Yeah. And she sees him and she tells him, um, you know, I'll wait, I'll I'll help you just a minute. And then somebody knocks on the door. And when she goes over, it's another nun. And that nun is like, well, there's people outside looking for somebody. Have you seen anybody? And she's like, no, I haven't seen anybody at all. There's nobody down here with me. And that's his flashback for this moment because it's like, oh, this woman lied for me. This woman is protecting me. She has absolutely no reason to, but she's immediately trusting me. Hmm. I am intrigued. And then we get. And I am so fucking excited. The Nightcrawler radio program. (laughs) 
I know. Right? You cut. <laughs> this came on as Nick is coming out of the flashback. It's here. <laughs> I was just like, like, oh, this is why Rachel rewatches yes. this episode. Oh my god, yes, the Nightcrawler, and it is Lacroix at Lacroix's best. He is like, hello, Nicholas, but not really. I'm just saying hello to hello in general, but maybe specifically. I just want you guys to know that I'm here. I'm back and I love you. And you can come to me for anything you need to come to me for. And since you won't come to me, I've decided, you know what he was doing? He's been missing for a couple of episodes. So I was thinking about it. Where has he been? Because he hasn't had this radio program. He had it before he died. It's been a while. And now he's he gotten did have back. it before he died. Yeah. Because remember, that's how he contacts Nick and Dark Knight. The Nightcrawler's waiting for you. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, and then he goes to CERK to... Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's got it back. So this is a public radio station. You used to pay for time on public radio stations. Mm-hmm. LaCroix is not paying for his time. I am, in my mind, fan canon for Rachel. Isn't it? <laughs> LaCroix has spent the last several weeks to a month performing a hostile takeover of the entire radio station and he now owns it and runs it and he literally just broadcasts all night long (laughs) (laughs) as much as he wants no matter when nick listens to it it's the night crawler so he's either paying for all night long which he would never do because that would be beneath him he is definitely either killed everyone at this radio station and is just running it for himself or he's hypnotized everybody at yeah, this radio station. I don't know how, but he owns this radio station and he's on it every night, all night long. So I just want to put that out there. That's fan canon. He owns CERK radio. But then we cut to Nick because Nick's listening to him, but then he kind of turns him off like, why was I listening to that? And then we cut to the morgue. And this is kind of cute because he's sitting down and he's holding like an anatomy dummy and he's got his feet up on the autopsy table. And he's letting Natalie do this like plumbing repair work. Not letting. That sounded very anti-feminist. He he isn't assisting her in any way. He's just sitting there shooting the shit with her while she's unclogging the pipe. Because her table has drainage. Well, yeah. It better. It better. I know. And so it got clogged with a scrunchie. And he's like, what's a scrunchie? (laughs) She's like, I'm a hair elastic, you know, a thing to pull my hair back. Uh, You know, and he's like, well, how did it get in there? And she's like, just don't ask. (laughs) Just don't ask. But she gets it out and it's not wet. Uh, Yeah, that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, "Mm, I'm sorry. You had a clogged pipe and there was no. First, she pulls the pipe down and pulls it away and nothing falls out. Like there no was drips, no, no, no drips, nothing. And then the scrunchie itself is dry and she pulls hair off of it and makes this disgusted face. Just throw it away, girl. You don't need to dissect it. It's fine. Blech. I'm glad it's not wet because that would have been a step too far. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that would have grossed you out? Uh, yeah. Also, if there had been like bodily fluids backed up in there, also gross. And she's like, okay, so what you're telling me is you feel like you can trust this woman. And so you want to do it. And he's like, yeah, I just, you know, there's something about her. 
it reminds me of me in a way where she just did this like smile thing. And all of a sudden I really felt like just, you remember the thing that I did with the author where I got her to come to my house and hang out with Jeanette like that, where I just used my inherent charm to manipulate her. And I mean, to get her to trust me implicitly, that's kind of what it felt like, but in like a, I actually can trust her kind of way. And Natalie's like, okay, um, yeah, that sounds like a really human emotion. That sounds like a really human instinct to trust this woman, to fall in with her story, to want to verify that, you know, she actually is guilty or innocent or whatever, because, you know, this is life or death for her. And I think you should run with it. Trust? What do I do? Well, like all human feelings, it can get you into big trouble. In other words, run with it. And Nick's like, thank you. I now have social permission to continue down this path. Uh, and so they go to the office and Cohen is talking to both of them. And this is when Skanky is drinking out of the cup. And he's making like a slurp. slurping sound. Because <laughs> Skanky doesn't give a shit. He does not want to investigate this He is case. actively avoiding putting any effort into this yeah, he, activity. Yeah, this feels like in Dead Issue when he's like, la, 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 I'm not listening. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to do this. The FBI is literally showing up to take this woman away. And I don't want to be any, I don't want to have any part of anything, Not none of this. I just want it done. And it is notable that Skanky never for once falls for her bullshit. Not once. Because he's in a committed, loving relationship with a woman. That's my, that's my explanation. Whereas Nick is always on the prowl. So he's like, oh, a hot lady. And then it just hijacks all of his upper level right. thinking. A hot lady paying attention to me? Well, that's just how the world works. It's like that time we discussed... Um, how Will and Grace, isn't it? Where Will and Grace is a really good show because you just take sex completely off the table. Right. Will and Grace are never going to get together. They just right. get to be best friends. Right. They have that tension of they actually love each other, but that's never going to escalate to like physical intimacy. Yeah. And, and when, so they can maintain that tension. Right. And one of the reasons why being in a committed relationship is like restful is because it takes off the table the idea of being yeah. able to be intimate with anybody else, theoretically. Right. It, if, if you're committed, then f for you, interacting with other people that you might otherwise be sexually attracted to, is it, oh, I'm, I'm in a relationship. Uh, as part of this interaction, I can just take out the whole part. Am I, are we flirting? Yeah. Is this going somewhere? You can just push that all to the side and say, oh, I'm just going to have an interaction with this person right. as another person. Yeah, which is, I think, why Skanky not for once believes what this believes the shit this woman is peddling to them. He's like, dude, she's got you. She knows you're a sucker and she's playing you. And he's like, no, I, I just don't think that's right i don't think that's true i think that i we really should be able to trust her and we get a little bit of commentary on the death penalty here because nick is like well i feel responsible because i arrested her so this leads to the question of who is responsible for the death of someone when they are 
sentenced to the death to death penalty? Is it the person who arrested them? Is it the or is everyone that participates in the process yeah, complicit? Is there is there fault? Anyway, this even Natalie says this is a discussion we can't get into because it's going to take all night, and we're not going to voice an opinion on the death penalty in this episode of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club because we're here to talk about Forever Night. So clearly they are trying to give us an oblique. It is difficult to use the death penalty as a punishment because guilt is so can be so subjective. Although she had a lot of evidence against her, she really... It really was very cut and dry in her case, but not from Nick's perspective. So this is just a whole murky, difficult to discuss topic. And they were in their own little 90s way trying to talk about it. And we cut down to Laura because she's in their lockup room downstairs. And angry woman officer is there again. But she is reading a book called Lust for Lease which is an interesting choice for her to be reading on duty. Is that a real book? Did you look it up? I'm not going to know. <laughs> okay, let me see. She's just keeping herself busy. You know what would have been downtime. you know would have been really fucking funny if she'd been reading The Denied. Yeah, that would be even That would have been good. That would have been a But deep that cut. was a couple episodes ago. The audience has forgotten by now. Nope, the only place it shows up is on the Forever Night wiki. Ah. Okay, so they probably just wanted to avoid any issues with copyright or reuse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Oh, but then we get one of my favorite skanky commentaries. And I love season two skanky. This is a well-established fact. But this is one of my favorite conversations that he has because he's like, Nick, do you realize you are keeping me? Because he's trying to, he tries to ask Cohen when he, after he does the cup thing, he's well, like, yeah, first, I'm trying to take Nick a weekend. Nick is like, well, we're, we have downtime right now. So why shouldn't I be able to, you know, just use my free time to do this? So he emphasizes to Cohen that, oh, we don't have a case right now. It's just downtime for me and Skanky. You don't have anything for us to work on. So, we can kind of just do what we want. And Cohen's like, yeah, oh, um, I can see that point. And so Skanky is like, hey, I'm going to jump on this argument too. Hey, since you don't have any work for us, it's all, it's downtime for us. How about I just uh, take, take a couple days off and uh, have a getaway with my wife? And Cohen's like, slap. No. <laughs> hey, I'm talking to the hot one again. <laughs> She's like, nope, sorry. Nick said he wants to work on this. So you guys got to work on this together. You're partners. And he's like, God damn it. And then he's like, so, Nick. Skanky's upset with Nick. He's like, you realize you're keeping me from going away fishing with Myra? Oh, she says fish with your partner. That's what Cohen says. Yes. She goes fish with your partner. And he's like, well, I won't fish with Myra. <laughs> It's not about the fishing. He's like, it's about the sex. Because like, <laughs> Nick is like, what does is Myra really like fishing? He's like, no, she really likes fishermen. It's a whole thing, and he gets this <laughs> long discussion about it, and it's the top front to end. It's 
hysterical. You know, Nick, you're killing all the romance in my life. Myra was really hot for that weekend. Fishing turns around? Fisherman, Nick. And outboard motors. Myra responds heatedly to the call of the wild if you get my drift. Fishing triggers the spawning instinct in her. Transport has a William Brees in Riverdale. You thinking what I'm thinking? Only if you're thinking about Myra and hip waders. <laughs> Nick is like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor skanky. I feel like this, this really gives us a, a lens into Myra and Skanky's love language for each other. Yeah, it was such a bold choice to commit to the idea that we are never going to see Myra, never going to hear her voice. Never see Jenny, never, none of it. Even when Jenny's class comes to the precinct, that day Jenny's sick. Oh, we don't. Oh. <laughs> so she's not there. He's like, I volunteered to do this so Jenny could come see the precinct, but she's sick today and I still had to do it for the rest of her class. Commitment. That's what that is. That's commitment. And I think it works because it lets Myra be whatever we need her to be. Right. Whatever the audience imagines Myra and Jenny to be, they can continue to be that right. in and the audience's mind. It's far more fleshed out than it ever would have been if we'd put a face to them. Mm -hmm. Because now I feel like I know Myra. She's that she's just a good match for Skanky is what it is. I mean, she's got a trial on tape and she's hot for fishermen. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I love it. And this is when Skanky gets his little bit more commentary on the American justice system because this is when he talks about how Texas hands out the death penalty for, like, anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, for not picking up after your chihuahua is what he says. Uh, I mean, it's not wrong. Oh, and so Nick, or <laughs> Skanky's like, I guess I have to go call off the weekend. And he's like, sorry, you're not going to get to go fishing Skanky and Skanky goes, Who said anything about fishing? <laughs> Fishermen. Fishermen. We were going to be baiting another hook, if you know what I'm saying. We <laughs> Good weren't. One. Thanks. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't going to be worms in my tackle box. Like, we were not talking about fishing, Nick. That's what you're keeping me from. And Nick's like, Meh, whatever. Because, of course, he's got Jeanette. He doesn't care. <laughs> he's got his Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I think Nick sees something of himself in Laura, which we discussed, but I think that's why he's so committed to this. It's like, maybe if I prove her innocent, it's a little bit like proving myself innocent too. Because not everything that he was accused of in his past was his fault. Right. And I don't think we ever firmly establish if she was framed or not. We do. When? Well, we don't, but we <laughs> we don't, but we know she's guilty of Billy's murder. We okay, don't yes. know why. We don't I ever talk about I why she killed all these people. It feels like what they were trying to, the tension they were trying to go for was Nick believes she's like so, she's been so misrepresented that she's probably not even capable of hurting anyone at all. Yeah. When she is capable of violence, she may or may not be guilty of murdering her husband, which if she actually did kill her husband, I don't know that 
she would be so motivated to kill Billy. Yeah. But she tricked Nick into giving her an opportunity to kill Billy. Right. And took advantage of that. And that's how she kind of betrayed Nick's trust. I think the giveaway, the takeaway we're supposed to get from this is either, and I think it's supposed to be intentionally unclear. Either she was framed for murdering her husband by Billy and Danny, and that's why she's there to kill them. Or she murdered her husband and got caught before she could go kill Billy and Danny. Billy and Danny. Like if something had happened Mm -hmm. and these three men, she needed to harm them for whatever reason. So maybe she was just finishing the job. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to be... Maybe she was getting back at being framed. I think it's supposed to be... He thought that she was... So we've established that Nick used to meet out his own justice, decide who was guilty and not guilty. And he has sworn that off. So he has outsourced that to the law. So now Nick's morality... But he was projecting that onto her. Yeah, so now Nick's morality and law are intertwined in his mind. So he sees her as wanting to find Billy and Danny... To get justice. To get justice. To get them arrested and to free herself so that she can keep living so that she can go back to being human. But that's not what she wants. She just wants revenge. Right. She's she's already a dead woman. Yeah. And she wants some revenge. She had given up hope. Yeah. Which is, I think, what really gets to him is she had given up hope that there could be anything different for her. And all she wanted to do was take everyone with her on the way out. And that was it. Yeah. And that's the antithesis of what he wanted to see in her because he wanted to see himself in her. And so he wanted to see her as continuing to fight for a better life. And that's not what she was doing. And I think that's the betrayal. I think whether or not she murdered her husband is immaterial. Right. Either way, she used Nick for her own ends. Right. And Skanky pegs it and he pegs it right here. He's like, She's taking you for a wuss. I mean, excuse me, a softie. And she's taking you for a ride. And you're letting her drive, Nick. And he's like, I don't agree with that. And Skanky's like, "Um, it's not an opinion. It's a fact, son. And so uh, the thought of this is so dramatic, it throws him back into a flashback again. And this is when the nun hides him. And lies for him again. Because she leaves to go get something to help take care of him. Uh, The other nun shows up. She lies about it. He kind of vamps out. I think this is him kind of giving in to the feralness. Because he also then looks at his wounds like, oh, how'd those get there? (laughs) That's weird. But then when she comes back, they're gone. So he's healed himself or whatever. And he comes out from the pillar. And that's when we get to see he's wearing a vest. With a poofy ascot. Yeah, a poofy ass ascot is what he's wearing. Um, It's kind of a, I don't know, Regency Jane Austen-y era outfit. Because later we hear Moonlight Sonata. That was written in 1800. So we're right about Jane Austen era, 1820s-ish. So this is right at about 60 years, 70 years before the whole Sylvain incident. So he hasn't fully broken free of 
LaCroix, but as usual, he's attempting to break free of LaCroix because that's what he's always trying to do. Yet another attempt to escape LaCroix. I know. But then we come back to the present and they are going to check out Billy Breeze because they figured out where he is. They found him and they're just going to go talk to him. So they walk in. They oh, walk and Skanky, in. Hold on. Skanky like totally plays this. Yeah. Calls the hotel. Hey, is Billy Breeze No, no, there? That's, that's later. That's Danny Carruthers. This one, Billy oh, Breeze lives there. Okay. So they just go to his address. And the door's unlocked, so they just walk right in, and he's like, <laughs> Skanky reaches over and picks some snacks up out of a bowl and starts eating them. And Nick yeah. is like, um, don't do that. We don't have a warrant. Like, we need to wait to get a warrant to get any kind of evidence because it won't be admissible in court. And Skanky's like, we had probable cause. It's fine. And Nick's like, what probable cause? He's like, like, the, the door was unlocked. Skanky has ever played it. Yeah, he goes, the door was unlocked. Don't sweat the details. Well, because he doesn't think this is anything. Right. He doesn't think this is shit. He's he doesn't care. But they turn the light on in the bedroom and Billy Breeze is dead. He's not just dead, he's messy dead. He's axed. One might say, which is Laura's MO. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's been broken in the whole house is somebody broke the window and came in, and somebody broke open the toolbox and got his axe. And that's it. So they pull some prints, but they don't know when he died because they have had Laura in custody all night. But whoever killed Billy Breeze left his electric blanket on. And so it's kept him warm and they don't know how long he's been dead. So no matter what, it's a case now. Because no matter somebody, how much skanky wanted to avoid it. Because somebody died and that makes it a homicide case. And the girlfriend shows up. Which really the only purpose of this girlfriend is to get his address book. An address book was a little notebook that you kept everybody's name and number and address in, in alphabetical order. Because you didn't have a phone. Yeah, your phone didn't do it. Everybody had an, uh, everybody had an address book that you kept your most important contacts in. And mom, you used to use it for writing like uh, Christmas cards and stuff. Because you'd put everybody's address in there in pencil in case you needed to update it. And really, that's her entire purpose because she gives them her address book and she doesn't know anything. In fact, Skanky makes a comment about it. He's like, maybe we'll take you home later if you can remember the address. Right, because she can't give any useful information about Billy's activities because they were into drugs and smuggling. Yeah. And she, she deliberately stayed out of that. Right. Or he kept her out of it. Probably both. It doesn't matter. Literally, the only reason she's there is to give them the number so that they can find, like, because. They can look, they can still look at the phone records. Yeah, they can look at the phone phone records and, like, mark off numbers of known associates Mm -hmm. so they can figure out what unknown numbers he's been interacting with frequently to try to find Danny. That's the entire purpose of this woman. I'm sorry, fiance. That's all you get. But they're riding back in the car, and Nick turns on the radio, and it's the Nightcrawler again. And he makes Skanky listen to it. Right. He makes This is like when you put on your trashy true crime podcast in the car with your friend who doesn't listen to true crime podcasts, and they're just like, what is this shit? 
which is exactly what Skanky looks like. He's like, how do you listen to that guy? And Nick goes, hmm, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> Accurate. And then we go to our flashback and we find out that LaCroix was there in the basement. How did he get there? It's full ass daylight. Nick got Nick got um, barbecued trying to get into this basement. And LaCroix pops up out when of nowhere and he's like. his age, you learn a few tricks. I guess. I mean, if you can literally be burned and melted till just your clothes are left, you can do whatever you want. So he's like, hi, Nick. Nick's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Oh, yeah. So this Nick's is my laying, basement. Nick's laying on oh, the yes. table to sleep. And LaCroix is like, tickling poke. him with a piece yeah. of straw. And he wakes up and he's like, oh, what the shit, LaCroix? And LaCroix's like, hello. <laughs> hello, Nicola. Didn't expect to see me here, did you? <laughs> no, none of us did. <laughs> right, so he gets Nick like all riled up. And Nick gets up off the table and Nick. And then LaCroix, they have a chat, and LaCroix's like, well, I guess I'm going to be hanging out here through through the day with you, and uh, I'm I'm just going to lay down here where you were laying down, yeah. where I woke you up. Right. He lays down on the table where Nick was laying. Like, oh, look at that. A spot just opened up. How comfy. Uh, you know that was LaCroix's point the whole time was like, get off the fuck. He should have just ousted him off the table, skipped the whole conversation. But that's not his style. So Mm -mm. it's fine. And this is the part where he's like, yeah, she was kind of hot, that nun lady. And Nick's like, don't touch her. Don't touch her. And LaCroix goes, it's fine. I have no taste for holiness. Upsets my stomach. And he like burps. He's still full. He goes, yeah, I'm still still full from last night. And Nick's like, whoa, so it was you? You fucking did it? You got me run out of town? And LaCroix burps. He's like, (laughs) oops, was that me? (laughs) Oopsies. I seem to have overeaten. Did we already get to the part where he throws the food in the fire? Yeah, that was the last flashback. Oh, I love every part where we're interacting with this nun. The the good parts where he's interacting. She brings him food. He throws the food in the fire when she's not looking. She brings over the music box to play Moonlight Sonata. It's so cool. And he tra- she tries to give him money to help him. She's just trying to... She is doing a small part of what Nick is trying to do for Laura, which is probably why the same actress is playing the nun. Or the casting director was cheap. Well, I think it's supposed to be. He's seeing... Right. It's supposed to be more allegorical. Which we do this sometimes where the person in the present, when he remembers the flashback, they have the same face, they're the same actor. And I wonder, is this because he doesn't have a perfect picture memory of what happened? And so he fills it in. Right. All of his memories are filtered through what's happening currently in his life. Right. And I think that's semi-deliberate one it saves money so cha-ching and also it becomes a little bit more metaphorical when we see the people happen the people in the present and the past as well but nick goes down to the lockup to confront laura again and this is when we get some more like oh they had a pretty good case against her because she murdered him with an axe and her prints were the only prints on the axe and she's like that's because i was chopping wood that day And he's like, but there was no chopped wood and there were no wood chips anywhere on your property. Because I burned it all. He was like, she goes, I burned the wood and I cleaned up the chips just like I do every day. 
I don't know anybody who chops wood who then cleans up the chips. No, nobody does. Nobody does that. It's pretty sus. That's, yeah. Unless she's way cleaner than literally anyone who heats with wood that I have ever met in my entire life. Because if you heat with, because she said she chops wood every day, which would imply she heats with wood. Because apparently Canadians believe that Texans don't even have electricity. I don't know. We'll just leave that out there. So. Well, and it's Texas. It's Texas. <laughs> Doesn't get that cold. I don't know. Um, we Matt's grandparents heat with wood. And so it's a big deal chopping wood. It is a full-time job over the winter. And it's messy. And it's messy. And it's time and labor and resource intensive. There is no way this woman got done chopping all of her wood and then had the energy to clean up the wood chips. Which Nick calls. He's like, that's bullshit. You didn't do that. And she's like, look, I don't know what to tell you, but I didn't do it. And he's like, that's not bullshit. I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) You make a convincing argument. You make a convincing argument. And she kind of knows she's losing him. So she slips from having a logical discussion with him to more of like a ad hominem. She's talking about herself and she's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Find him, detective. Find him. They're going to kill me for something he did. And I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I didn't do it. I'm a good person. I, yes, I had a troubled past. I got into some stuff I never should have. But, you know, I got better. And I was better with my husband. And I don't want to die. I didn't kill him and I don't want to die. And it's very persuasive for Nick. He's like, fair. I get it. I get it. I want to die, but in like a long-term capacity. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So he heads home to play some sad music. And think about it. Because he goes home and he's playing Moonlight Sonata on the piano. And this is when we get the part of the flashback where he wakes up and LaCroix is missing. And he asks her, um, did you see anybody else around here? And she's like, uh, no, nobody else comes down here. I'm the only nun that comes down here. Nobody else wants to come to the cellar to get stuff. So they all sent me. I'm like the most junior nun in the nunnery. Right. And I brought you some food. And so he gets, she gives him the food, and this is when he's tossing the food in oh, the okay. fire, which he chooses the weirdest stuff to, to toss in the fire. He's got, like, bread. Grapes. He tosses the grapes. Well, I guess because he can grab a whole handful. Yeah. They look like really good grapes, too. I was like, oh, some, some juicy grapes. Probably because they're seeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seeded grapes are bigger. Um, but Moonlight Sonata was written in 1801. So this kind of dates it. It's at least 1801. Probably long enough later that it's become popular. Mm-hmm. And she said her parents had given her that music box. So she's... So it's probably become from before she entered, joined the convent. Yeah, so I'd say we're 1820s-ish. Would be my guess. Would be the earliest. Yeah, it would be the earliest. And she says, um, I don't really care if those men were after you. Because I can tell you're a good person. It may have been hidden for a really long time. Oh, right. She hints that she's psychic and she sees this in people sometimes. Yeah. And she says, it's been hidden for a really long time, but there is goodness in you. And he's like, thank you. Why does he keep running into psychics? Maybe they're just like thick on the ground. 
Maybe there's more than we ever thought. We're all a little bit psychic. Maybe. Maybe. But this is when Skanky does the real clever call to the hotel because they get a line on this number oh, yeah. that's been calling Billy. And so they call it and it's this hotel. And <laughs> and he's like, hey, is my friend Danny Crothers staying there? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll put you through. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to surprise him. And then he shows up at the hotel and he does the like knock, knock. And then he goes, hey, Danny, it's Billy. Let me in. <laughs> Danny's like, oh my God, yes. And so he opens the door and it's Skanky. And so <laughs> Skanky like choke slams him back into the room. No, which he doesn't even know that this guy's guilty of anything. Right. At all at this point. He literally just showed up at this guy's hotel room and then like punched him. Right. It was like, hey, Danny. Uh, hi. <laughs> what did I do again? Um, it's, I don't know. So he calls Nick because Nick is taking Laura to meet the FBI. He's um, supposed to be he's supposed taking to Laura. Be. And they needed a way for this to be just him and Laura and angry woman cop in his car. Because otherwise, this would be a whole... She escaped from... Her last prison transfer. From a prison transfer. She escaped from a prison transport. There is no way in hell they are letting this woman ride in a convertible <laughs> with two people... To a little-known airport with absolutely no backup, no escort, no FBI agents present, no handoff except at the airport. What the actual shit? And they're like, oh, it's to avoid the paparazzi. What? No, you just set up a police line, right? And then you let this woman, you walk this woman through under heavy guard because she has, she not only escaped a prison transport. She made it from Texas to Canada. She's good at what she does. As a famous escaped prisoner, she made it to Canada. <laughs> and they were like, it's fine. Why don't we send it in that guy that has the classic car with the, the soft top? That's fine. We'll just, we'll just chuck her in there. It's no problem. You know, the one that's unusually sympathetic to her case and has yeah, been, that guy. And has been fighting to get her freed this entire time. That guy? Let's send him with her. But Skanky calls and he's like, I got Danny. And Nick is like, oh, yes. And he, she's on speaker, he's on speakerphone or something because she's like, I can ID him. Take me to him. I can ID him. And Nick is like, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's skip some paperwork. Let's just Once have this. Once again, <laughs> you make a convincing <laughs> argument. You made a convincing argument. So they drive over to Hotel Selby. I mean, this is a classic Nick the Brick episode, right? Where Nick Nick was being blanky so hard, he transported himself to another reality. Because anyone would realize this woman is trying to, is, is using him for personal gain. But he wants her to be good so fucking bad, he just can't see it. Right, he just keeps covering up. Even though LaCroix tried to tell him, because we go back to the flashback, and Nick wakes up, and LaCroix runs in, and he's got the dead nun in his arms. And he's like, saw how you trusted her. That's a bullshit move. Went ahead and killed her for you before she could betray your trust. You're welcome. <laughs> dead people can't betray you. That's lesson number 10. <laughs> <laughs> lesson number one is don't trust humans. They aren't worth it. You can trust your own kind. That's different, 
But trust in humans is inherently flawed because she trusted a person who didn't exist because she didn't know who you were and you were putting on a face. You were pretending to be someone that you aren't. Right. And that's who she trusted. Not you. And as soon as she figured out who you really were, all that trust was going to go away. So before that could happen, I went ahead and killed her. I saved you. You're so fucking welcome. I will take thanks in the form of eternal devotion. And he's like, I'm leaving you and I'm never coming back. <laughs> so look, Even more so now, LaCroix. Even more Fuck so. You, LaCroix. It's not working, LaCroix. Try a different tactic. <laughs> <laughs> and every time this happens, LaCroix is like, why is this not working? Why can I Just not get through to him? understand. Does he not realize I am trying to help him? Because this is a valuable lesson for now because he's about to find out that trust in humans is inherently flawed because you you can never really trust each other because you don't know who each other really are, which is exactly what's happened here. Big fucking shocker, this woman he met 24 hours ago isn't who she th- he thought she was. More than maybe thirty six hours. Let's let's be generous. Yeah, we'll, he's we'll be known generous. her for thirty six hours, and he's like, she's had some time to. And work he's on like, him. absolutely, I'm gonna take you to meet Danny Carruthers at this hotel, and then I'm gonna leave you in the car after shutting off my radio and refusing to tell Cohen where I am. That's how this night's gonna play out. <laughs> this is a bulletproof plan. This is a. Firing a fence is what he does because he takes this FBI wanted American death row escaped convict in his classic Cadillac convertible to the hotel Selby. He shuts off his radio. He's like, I'll be right back. I'll bring him out to you. You just wait right there. So he goes in to get Danny from Skanky, just whistling because he's so excited. This is all going to work out exactly the way he wanted him to, wanted it to. And angry woman cop decides to turn the radio back on. So she sits up, leans forward over the seat. And gets choked out by and Laura. gets choked out by Laura. And in the meantime, Natalie comes to see Cohen. And Cohen is listening to the radio. And they're like, 81 Kilo is still not responding. And she's like, I want all officers. on the. I want you all out there looking for 81 Kilo right now. We need to find them. And Natalie runs in and she's like, the only prince at Billy's house on all the murder weapon and everything was Laura. Laura killed Billy. I mean, her prints are on the bloody axe. Her prints are on the broken shit. Everything, oh, shit's fucked up. It's Laura. And Cohen's like, oh my God, I knew it. <laughs> and then we cut back to Carruthers talking to Danny and Skanky. And he's like, what are you talking about? Laura was framed. She's a crazy person. I came here to get away from her. And they're like, oh, is it you who tipped us off about where she'd be in that poli- in that car-, car park, car parking deck? And he's like, yeah, you're welcome. You got her in, you got her in custody, right? And Nick's like, yeah, I got her right outside. <laughs> he's like, what the shit? 
Because you brought her to me? Yeah, because then Laura comes in holding Angry Woman Cop's gun, which is the other reason why Angry Woman Cop has been here. Just to have somebody the yell at weapon her. weapon holster. Yeah, she's been her weapon holster this entire time because she runs in with the gun and Nick and Skanky both pull out their guns and they're pointing at her. And it's the most like... Why I, does Nick got, not do his usual thing and get in, in between. between? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he didn't trust himself to hypnotize Skanky again and Laura for the first time. And then Carruthers. I don't know. Uh, he just doesn't. But this is the most cops, um, actors pretending to be cops holding guns I have seen. Usually they're pretty good. But this was very much just standing there with their arms out to the side. Not, not just, yeah, this was very like. It felt a little contrived is what I'm getting at here. And she ends up shooting Danny and then she herself gets shot. Which I don't see know if we see who shoots her, whether it's Nick or Skanky. I think both of them fire. Yeah. And Skanky runs over to Danny and Danny's only been shot in the shoulder. So he's like, I'm getting paramedics. Keep pressure on it. He's we're gonna a get flesh you wound. We're going to get you help. But Laura has gotten real, real shot. And she's like, Thanks, Nick. I couldn't have done it without you. <sighs> Oof. And then we get this really kind of cool, like the camera pans up from her as she, like she dies. And then the camera pans up as Nick is like leaning over her and it keeps going up to the ceiling and it passes through the ceiling fan and we get the ceiling fan blades going by and it's like, woof, woof, kind of like a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And that's, the end of Laura. And Nick is real, real mad about it because he goes back to his apartment and Natalie is there. And he's like, um, LaCroix was right. And that's how, you know, shit just went down because the words LaCroix was right just came out of Nick's mouth. He's like, I never should have trusted humans. LaCroix was right. You guys are all bullshit. And Natalie's like, uh, standing right here. Oh, oh, it's it's like when Kate said, oh, I don't think of Matt as a guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Natalie, I don't think of you as a human. No, no. You're, you, you're not included. It's in, fine. You're, we've, in those I've rolled you into vampire kind. Clearly, because I didn't erase your memory. Well, he tried. And so <laughs> Natalie is like, um, I'm sorry, you... Got betrayed. It happens. Would you quit being a big fucking man baby about it? No, I won't quit being a man baby about it. I'm sorry. Has nobody ever told you one thing, but actually the other thing was true before? It's called lies. Look it up, motherfucker. (laughs) She's like, you got played. It happens. Especially when you're a human. Yeah. What would be the better scenario, Nick, here? Here, Nick, that... You thought the worst was true, and it actually was true, and all along you were right, but you never believed anybody was, like, worth saving, or you thought this woman was worth saving and surprised she wasn't, which happens sometimes. Not everybody is. Right. Nine out of ten of the people that he's assumed were actually innocent, and he trusted them, and he worked hard to save them, it worked out. His, yeah. He's like nine out of 10 for hunches on people's real natures. 
Yeah, one time it didn't work out. Quit fucking crying about it. And so he goes over and gets a bottle of blood out of the refrigerator. And she's like... Uh-uh, no, you she's don't. She's like, hey, you want to talk about trust issues? Let's unpack this suitcase for a second, okay? Because I keep telling you what I think you need to do, and I'm trusting you to follow the guidelines that I put down for you. And guess what you keep fucking doing, Nick? Betraying my trust. How do you think I feel? How do you feel right now? Like I do with the kids. I'm like, okay, yes, your brother took your toy. So you took his toy and he's upset. How did it make you feel when your brother took your toy? What made me feel upset? So can you understand why he feels upset now that you took his toy? Let's practice a little empathy here. Do you know how you're feeling right now, Nick? Think about that. Feel it. Embody it. That's how I feel every time I show up and there's empty green bottles all over your loft. That's how I feel. And Nick's like, then if you don't want to look, don't want, turn away. Well, go on, just letting it happen. Huh? And what guarantee do I have that it will happen? Ah, I thought so. Nick, please don't. If you can't watch, turn away. I am doing all that I can do to help you. Doing what you're doing. It's a betrayal, I know. I know. Thank you. It can happen, Nick. Trust me. <laughs> you always have some. And she's like, seriously? And he goes, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Puts the cork back in the Puts bottle. Puts the cork back in the answer the bottle. He's like, I get it. I get it. It's a betrayal. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in my feelings right now. I was just trying to eat my feelings. It's the only thing I've got. <laughs> like, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get it. She's like, you, you did something human and it didn't work out. Sorry. It's going to happen. That's Part of being human. Congratulations. Welcome to the human experience. Which is true. Trust is a complicated issue. And he went in it with sort of the naivete of someone who isn't used to trusting other people. And so he threw himself all into it and it didn't work out. But it's better for him to have done it the way he did than for him to have come at it from the other angle, which is she was guilty. We needed to just go with, go with it and not try to help her at all, even though she was asking for help. So it worked out. What did you think of this episode? I think it definitely highlighted that, uh, or I guess it, it broke the, this pattern of, Nick always has the correct hunch mm -hmm. about the innocently accused person. And he, you know, as the hero finds out, it, like fixes their problem and proves yeah. them innocent. And now we have ostensibly that same pattern getting set up at the beginning and then twist. Nope. She was using him all along. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice breaking of expectations. Did you see that coming? I I was halfway the whole time, which is probably how thought, they wanted it to be. I thought I did pretty good not telling you that she was the bad guy. You're welcome. That way you got to experience it authentically. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Yes. Hashtag spoiler-free life. Hashtag spoiler-free life. I know how much effort that takes for you. You have no idea. I want to just be like, let me tell you all about this episode and what happens and how I love this flashback because it has one of my favorite tropes, which is when the vampire shows up and they're pretending to be human and then somebody trusts them, but they're really a vampire and they're really... It's the best. Um, So that's really how I want to talk to you. So I just want you to know. I tried really hard not to spoil that for you. But and yeah. then the Nightcrawler was good too. Yeah, the Nightcrawler. I think I don't watch this one a lot because I don't like to see Nick get hurt. I don't like to see that, like him trusting somebody where he really does have every rational reason to investigate these claims. I mean, if she's guilty, she's going to stay guilty. And he doesn't really only through... If we hadn't done the thing at the end where he, he took her to took her directly to the guy she was looking for. This could have been a very legitimate, like these people had other information about the case. This could have been a, we could have like filed an appeal and gotten these people brought back in and have them testify again, knowing more information this time around. That's legitimate. I mean, it, it could have worked, but really she knew she was going to die she knew she was either guilty or that she was never going to get proven innocent and she wanted to die on her own terms. Yeah. And he was just part of the equation. Suicide by cop. And that's really hard to watch. Yeah. So I think that's why I don't watch it as often. Although every time I watch it, I'm pleasantly reminded of that flashback. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the one with the nun flashback. I like this one. I like this one. I do. Even LaCroix's weird little betrayal at the end, which was really just like, oh, shit, someone's making Nicholas feel seen. I got to nip this in the bud. <laughs> Same thing he did in Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Oh, no, Nick's getting what he wants. I got to right. take that away from him. Because he could have just hypnotized her. He could have hypnotized her into betraying Nick. That would have been a better way of teaching this lesson. For her to show up with the, the hunters or something. Yeah. And be like, see, Nick, I told you she'd betray you in the end. But LaCroix's not always He's not a subtle. planner. Yeah. He's not a planner. I mean, he's a planner kind of, but he's not that. He's too blunt. He's too like... He's a, um, he's a master improviser. And for somebody who is supposedly one of the best at hypnotizing people, it's never his go-to. He's like, how about, and I'm just spitballing here, we just kill them. Well, Rachel, you probably know how many things... You know how this feels. How many things are you good at? but you don't actually like doing. <laughs> That's true. So maybe he doesn't like hypnotizing people. Maybe it feels like a shortcut. Yeah. He's like, I could just hypnotize her into either betraying Nicholas or forgetting Nicholas, but that's not fun. It was like with Stranger Than it's Fiction. It's not a challenge. It's like with Stranger Than Fiction. The obvious answer was just to show up at this woman's apartment, tell her to write something else, and forget about vampires. But no, no, no. Killing death by vampire was the only way to prove that vampires weren't real. Well, anyway, I think we've talked a lot about this episode. It's okay. It's good. I like the flashback. The, the, and I like the idea of there is more to becoming human than just getting a heartbeat. There is learning human interaction. It's almost like vampire as uh, autism. Like <laughs> learning to... Yeah read people, learning to know when to trust people, 
learning about people, learning about humans. Because a lot of vampires don't, because they're not awake during the day or they're not out during the day. You don't have the same kind of day-to-day interactions. Yeah. Plus, he hasn't been a person in so long that he's forgotten all of that. And the world that he was born in no longer exists. Right. He's been a vampire more than 20 times as long as he was ever a human. Right. Because supposedly he died at like 30, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So that's good. I think that's a good take on it. That there's more to this whole mortality thing, human thing. So I think we'll leave it there. We have an Instagram. It's up to 180 some followers, which I'm kind of proud of. Close to 200. You could help us get there. Go like us, like our shit. (laughs) I think I'm going to make a little intro where I just talk about this and I'm going to put it at the beginning and then everybody can either skip it or listen to it. So I feel like I say the same thing every time, but really it's because it's still true. We still have an Instagram. We're still having fun doing the Instagram stuff. We still have a Patreon at the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. We still have our same five patrons. So I just want to say, once you join us, there's no going back. The website, it broke. But we have plans. Plans are in motion. Plans within plans. and To be revealed in July. Yeah, to be revealed in July. So you guys have that to look forward to. And that gives us a deadline to actually do it. And it's not just changing the (laughs) link color. It's not just changing the link color. So that's coming. I'm super excited about it. It's going to take a lot of planning. I think everybody's really going to enjoy it. I think this is going to be good. This is, we've now been podcasting for six months. So my little Sagittarius heart can no longer stand the status quo. And we need to shake things up and do things different, evolve and move on to better and bigger and different things. Unlike Athena, we do not spring forth from the forehead of Zeus fully formed. We have to grow up. So. So. so (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but. So remember, Greek mythology. <laughs> Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.